this episode of the Pandemic Pedagogy Podcast, we'll be talking about the effect of the pandemic on live event production. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Pandemic Pedagogy Podcast. I'm Galen Perkins, an instructor of creative media production at Arkansas State University in Jonesboro. Joining me this week to talk about the ways we learn in this era are two of my students from the Audio Production 2 class, Alex Galbraith and Jake Williamson. Guys, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Awesome. Alex, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your interests are in media. Yeah, so I am a junior creative media production major with an emphasis in sports broadcast. Uh, and I'm a huge sports fan, obviously. The emphasis in sports broadcast and everything uh, that I do in media, I try to surround with sports. So the main goal is to one day kind of get on air, kind of be an on-air talent. I run my own show here uh, at Arkansas State Red Wolf Roundtable for, for ASU TV. Uh, and then I also have my own YouTube channel slash business, which is the Gridiron Expert. And I run that 24-7 producing college football content year round. So that's kind of my main interest in media is just kind of focusing on sports and trying to, to build up the brand and trying to build up that talent, I guess, of being on air to one day go work for a major station in the future. Awesome. And Jake, the same question to you. Yeah, so I'm a senior this year in the creative media field, but also I have the same emphasis in sports media, and I'm kind of in the same boat as Alex. Um, I've enjoyed sports ever since I've growing up, and it's what I've wanted to do. It's a passion of mine to be an on-air sports broadcaster, and I've always wanted to consider myself being the next Lee Corso on college game day on Saturday mornings. Right now, I'm in the sports media field, and I also work for ESPN Plus here on campus as a graphics operator for all Arkansas State athletic productions. Great stuff. Speaking of sports, uh, also joining us this week for discussion is Mr. Colin Pillow, studio supervisor and instructor of creative media production at Arkansas State University. Mr. Pillow, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be joining you virtually for this uh, conversation. Right. And thank you so much for joining us today. Could you tell us a bit about your background in teaching? Sure. I've uh, been teaching at the university level since 1988. I spent three years at a small public institution in Oklahoma called East Central University, which is in a town called Ada, Oklahoma, southeast of Oklahoma City. From there, I moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and taught at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock for seven years in the 1990s, and came to Arkansas State University in the fall of 1998 and have been here ever since. And all that was after having a background in radio and television, but also continuing to be a freelancer as much as I possibly could during much of that time, especially up until probably the last 10 to 15 years. Definitely a very impressive resume. So this week, we're talking about the effect of the pandemic on live event production, specifically multicam studio and sports production. We'll let Jake lead off with the first question. Mr. Pillow, when this pandemic began and you were told to start moving online, what was your transition process like? Um, What were those steps and actions you took to go all online? Well, it was a bit challenging at first because, you know, we were virtually almost halfway through a semester when we started seeing things shut down, especially in terms of sporting events being canceled. You know, March Madness was just getting underway last year, and then all of a sudden, everything bottomed out. And we had been doing uh, college basketball games in our sports production class that semester. 
And many of the students had completed many of the requirements for actually participating in those games, but some had not. So we had to shift some things online. We had to change the focus of some of the uh, contents of the class. Uh, for instance, we had to deal with those who weren't able to participate in a multi-camera production. We had to give them an opportunity to do some things on their own uh, th because many of the students either returned to their homes or they were just isolated on campus until they found a way to get home. And so we shifted a lot of those experiences to things where they were able to learn about it through the internet. And we, of course, shifted our classes online where I was you know, doing Zoom classes each week. And that was the best way to interact with the students directly from my experience anyway. And at least it kept us in touch with each other, let everybody understand what we we're trying to cover to finish out the semester. And we just had to modify a lot of things. You know, we could not give them the experiences of being on the crew at the time because everything we were involved in completely shut down. So we had to give them opportunities to learn about it through the online uh, options that we found uh, so they could experience it that way. Very interesting. I'll turn it over to Alex with a question that he had next. Mr. Pillow, I guess for everybody here, we are all constantly producing some sort of content. We're all content creators. Uh, from a production standpoint, what has changed for you, uh, if anything at all? Well, obviously, the, the main change was the inability to be on site for a lot of these productions, even events that ramped back up to a, to a limited extent where very few, if any, fans could be in attendance and even the media were limited in terms of numbers. Uh, that's something we had to look at. And, you know, we've discovered that, and I know Mr. Perkins can address this probably better than I can, you know, our, our investment in our studio facility on campus in the past year or two, where we've added network device interface or NDI so that we can access control room and other types of equipment and hopefully interconnect those over the internet uh, has allowed us to at least continue to do some of the things we like to do and want to do and really need to do. And then of course, when you look at the actual live multi-camera remote on-site events, the entire industry had to change and we had to do the same thing. You know, it used to be that if you were covering a sporting event for television in particular, you had a a tractor trailer full of equipment that would roll into town. You would have, you know, dozens of people on a crew all there on site and they would produce the event. Of course, that had to change a lot and we had to change as well. And in some cases, for instance, with my sports casting class, you know, we used to be able to attend all the basketball games in person and have the students there and recording the games. Those are very limited. And very few of those were available this past year. And so fortunately, because we've been producing content on this campus for years, we had a lot of those prior events that had been recorded. And even though it's not quite the same, students had the opportunity to at least view a past game and act as though they were actually calling it live and describing the action. So things like that were challenging, uh, not quite as you know, up to the level we would hope for, but it's what we were forced to do. Uh, and in these types of situations, you don't always get what you want, but at least you hope to get something that's at least beneficial. 
Yeah, and I'll just follow that up by saying that I know on my end and working with the ASU TV type stuff that there is, before the pandemic even started, there was a real effort to go towards networked um, devices um, or NDI type technology um, to where people could be in multiple locations and easily connect to any sort of production and perform any sort of role that they needed to in a production. And I think that that's been something that's good that's come out of this is that we've had a chance to do a real world application test of all this tech that's been building up over the last decade to go ahead and start producing content from multiple different areas without having traditionally people in one room or in one semi-trailer type situation. I'd like to go ahead and follow that up with another question uh, that Alex submitted and that I'm curious about as well. Mr. Pillow, what has been the biggest challenge for you in all of this? Well, the biggest challenge is the distance, you know, not having the standard model that we've used for decades where everyone is gathered together in a learning environment, as well as applying the actual skills and trying to improve upon a production. It's been very challenging and not only for the faculty, but for the students, of course, you know, many of them, if they've already, if they'd already been in our program, were accustomed to being able to be in a crew with a lot of people, being able to attend those events as announcers, you know, journalists, whatever their roles may be. And that was the biggest challenge for me is just trying to see what opportunities we can still give the students to at least learn about this particular field and then give them some limited opportunities on being able to actually apply the skills that many of these courses you know, and many of the things we do uh, require. And I think I'll go a little bit off script and ask uh, just Jake and Alex, since y'all are involved in this uh, kind of sports production in different roles, both as talent and as production type people, what has been the biggest challenge for each of you? I think for me personally, like trying to do things in the, in the studio has been very difficult with like ASU TV and stuff like that. Uh, especially, you know, when we used to run roundtable, we always had, or I tried to always have a, a guest on. Uh, and now, you know, we can't do that when it comes to the distancing. So we have to, I either go solo or we try to bring someone in through uh, Skype, which is a kind of a new feature that we've uh, incorporated into the studio, which has been nice. I haven't actually gotten to do it yet, uh, but I know the options there, but um, I think I think that was has been a major struggle because I I love I love doing interviews and I love having guests on with me and so it's it's really different having to really be spaced out and kind of having to do it uh, mostly by yourself even when you're looking for help you know everybody uh, that's helping you within the studio uh, has to be kind of cautious too I mean the, the mass isn't, isn't an issue at all uh, but in terms of spacing out and having people that are willing to be there and stuff like that uh, I think has kind of been a bigger issue just from the on campus production standpoint. And Jake, um, I guess you are still in that traditional production environment to where you're producing um, content inside of either a trailer or inside of a, a, a production studio room. Um, how is that? Uh, what challenges have you incurred as part of that? Well, I think it's more what the talent or on-air talent has, the challenges they have faced. Um, with When we do ESPN productions, we started off having them on, we started off having them here in Jonesboro and then we go transition to conference play for basketball. We get them in Kansas city. So there's always going to be that delay when you have the live sporting event versus on air talent, 
then you just got to hope they're not as far behind. So that way when they're calling the game, we can catch them up to speed or they can see what's happening live. But also some of the stuff that's being done remotely, you kind of learn a new lesson in it. Work. I've also had the privilege of doing a freelance job for LTN as a bug operator for Oklahoma, West Virginia basketball. The game was being done in Morgantown, but graphics and talent and bug op and all those different kinds of production aspects were being done out of Kansas City from the main office that LTN is in. So I think it's kind of interesting to see, hey, you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to have them live or at the site of the location, you can always have them where they want to be and the production can get done. And I think we'll definitely circle back to that as we get into the roundtable portion of the episode. But I think that Jake probably had the best question of this week, and this might be a good way to kick off that roundtable segment. Jake, go ahead. So, Mr. Pillow, you're in the sports media field um, and you teach sports media classes. I've had you for sports programming, sports production, sports broadcasting. How do you see sports media changing from this pandemic? Do you see things maybe going back to normal and what they were before this started? Or what changes can we see that will stay in effect after this is over? Well, I think the effects of the pandemic have made the entire sports media industry take a really hard look at itself. And I think what they've determined is for years, they've been phasing in this remote production that you described or Remy model where not everyone has to be on site. And I think what they've discovered is uh, ESPN is an example. Instead of having to send out producer, director, technical director, and all the other technicians that are part of a crew, they can have just a very small skeleton crew on the actual site of where the event is occurring. And a lot of those people can stay back in a control room, let's say in either Bristol, Connecticut, Charlotte, North Carolina, Orlando, Florida, where they typically run these shows. And instead of those people being involved in just one game during a day, then it's possible that crew in that particular location could do multiple games a day. So maybe they start at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we typically might see some games starting and they're producing and involved in that production somewhere across the country. And then they do another one maybe in the middle of the afternoon or late afternoon, and they could even do a West Coast game, in our case, late at night, like a 9 p.m. or later. So what they're, what they're basically realizing is they don't have to have as many people. Unfortunately, that cuts down on the opportunities for people like you guys who are wanting to graduate with this degree and go out and find these opportunities. Unfortunately, I think at least for the near term, we're going to see fewer positions available because they've realized that they had to cut costs. When you think about the billions of dollars that were lost by these uh, organizations in this past year due to this, they had to really take a look at that. And I think it's going to take quite some time before we ever see anything close to what it was like before the pandemic. And if, if we ever even get back to that. I think we're going to see a whole new model going forward with so many more things being done remotely and uh, as ways to basically save money. Well, let me ask a kind of a follow up to that point. Do you see in terms of career prospects, do you see a brighter future for the uh, production side or for the talent side of sports broadcasting? 
Well, I don't think there's really a separation between the two because we're also hearing about announcers that are being required at the network level to do more than one game a day. So I think that whole model is being applied across the board. Uh, what we're seeing though is agreements between the networks in particular the ESPN and the Fox family with colleges and universities around the country. You know, on the ESPN side where they're making these partnerships with different conferences throughout the country. And in some cases, depending on the financial agreements they have, they're basically letting the individual institutions and the conferences produce the content. That's from both the announcer and talent perspective, all the way up to the producer director on the technical side. And, you know, even smaller conferences like the one Arkansas State is in with the Sun Belt, with the agreement they have with the ESPN, you know, there's more of a burden placed on the school itself um, probably because there's just not quite the same revenue that's generated compared to your top tier conferences around the country that generate millions and millions of dollars. And therefore it gets returned back to them in a way of a payment through ESPN. In our case, you know, smaller schools, smaller conferences are basically having to foot a lot of the bill and the cost associated with it. And hopefully they can at least break even. And in some cases, maybe, make a little bit of revenue out of that, that hopefully they can reinvest into some of the operations. But across the board, I think you're just gonna see different opportunities. I'm not gonna necessarily say it's a lot of reduced numbers, but I think you're gonna see a lot of crossover. I think you're gonna see more expected of people who get hired for these positions. And Jake and Alex, uh, what do y'all have to talk about? Well, I think that first, first before I get into mine, that was a really, really good point. Just in terms, I mean, the, the the bar I think has been raised for everybody in the uh, kind of productive sports production field. I mean, in the past we didn't know any different. You know, we, as Mr. Pillow was saying, I thought it was really interesting that it's it's very telling now that we can do these jobs with less people. Something that we probably didn't think was possible before this pandemic hit. So now the bar has certainly been raised to the point where. Hey, if we can do this with, as you mentioned, like a skeleton crew with a very limited amount of people and, and do it efficiently, like we've done all year long, like Jake was saying, we're filming and producing things from, you know, miles and miles away, completely different states sometimes from where the game's being played. If we can do that, um, you know, they could cut down on that in the future. Uh, and so I think that's a really interesting point, something I really didn't think about. Cause I was kind of, kind of in the back of my mind, I was just thinking once we, once we're clear, we'll all kind of start going back to normal with everything, but there's, a possibility that that might not be the case and I'll kind of say too while this could be a negative it kind of strives for us students in the sports field to kind of better our work to prove ourselves that we're capable of working in these conditions and capable of working on a skeleton type crew we talked about the limited number it could take to do a sports production and we're realizing that we don't have to have so many people on this set of a game well, then we have to prove ourselves as to we can show the network that we are potential, I guess, which I guess you would say professionals at running a, running a game. And so it kind of strives to make our work a lot better in the field. I don't want to go fully negative with this, but what are some other implications that you feel have come out of this entire situation? And, and this is to everybody that have kind of diminished or taken away from what 
sports production has been in the past. From my perspective, when you look at the sheer number of people who canceled their subscriptions to cable and satellite TV during 2020 because of the lack of sports content, what we're seeing is people want to be involved in sports. And when it goes away, it impacts them very much so. And those media organizations who've been involved in it during the past year or so, when you look at, as I said earlier in this podcast, when you look at the sheer amount of billions of dollars that have been lost due to things that were canceled, rescheduled, and then not played, and then rescheduled, and then not played, and finally played, when you have to shift around personnel, resources, ad revenue that you've sold all these events to these advertisers and then it doesn't get played and you have to figure out a way to recover that or at least make it good going forward. What we're seeing is a, a complete shift. And you know, you look at something like the Olympics that was supposed to have happened last year in Tokyo and now it's scheduled to be held this summer. And I have I have some pretty high expectations that it probably will. But more and more of these networks and these media organizations are having to take out insurance policies on these types of things with these companies that are willing to take that gamble that if it doesn't happen, all that money that gets lost because of the lost ad revenue and all the associated things with that, hopefully they can recover from it. I know that uh, the Olympics has been uh, insured now with NBC Universal. And more and more of these uh, organizations are looking at that as an opportunity. And then, of course, you've got the cable satellite providers and even the broadcast networks. We're trying to get people back. You know, we're seeing things happening. We're about to have NCAA March Madness kicking off in a bubble in Indianapolis. And hopefully that will work as well as the NBA's bubble did. And, of course, you've got other sports that are trying that particular thing. And if it works and eventually that can even be phased out as people start returning to events, to sporting events that they enjoy. To me, that's going to make most people feel like we're getting close to normal because sports fans want to be there, or at least they want the broadcast to be so much like what it's like if you're in attendance. They want that crowd noise of, of an actual crowd as opposed to something generated by equipment, you know, and they want to be able to see the, the fans in the stands. And so I hope that that happens here in the next few months. I feel pretty confident in that that's going to be a possibility because I'm the same way. It feels I'll sometimes go on to YouTube or something and I'll catch old highlights of something from games from even two or three years ago. And it's just so surreal to see these sold out stadiums and sold out arenas. And, and, and sometimes you'll look and we've been doing this for a year now. So you're like, that doesn't even seem possible or you'll see a group of people in an old thing and you're like, why aren't they wearing their masks or something like that? And uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of surreal to see that. And like you said, as sports fans, we want that because uh, especially in any sport, really home field advantage is a, is such a crucial part and, and obviously benefiting the team, but just uh, filling up that atmosphere and giving you the atmosphere, even for the people sitting at home. But with, I think, and not, not to stray away from that, but with more and more people, I think getting this vaccine, I think a lot of people are going to have it done by, before I would say football season begins in August and be the next big sport that'll be starting up soon uh, with the exception of baseball, I guess. Uh, I think 
there's a very good possibility that we can start to see these these places start to fill up again. And it might not be exactly like it was you know, a couple of years ago before all this happened, but it's I think it can be pretty dang close. I'd like to touch on that with the fact I remember last March when March Madness and the NCAA said we're not doing this. It kind of it, it honestly kind of crushed me a little bit because I remember I watched this tournament every year and I lived for the upsets and the Cinderella stories and a champion. And I also live for seeing fans in the stands going nuts, going crazy. It's it makes for an exciting tournament. And I'll even touch on a couple of years ago, a couple of us had got to sit down with Mike Bellotto here at Arkansas State. And he said the crowd affects the way the team plays. And the fact that the fans can't we can't have as many fans in the arena cheering a team on, it it's a little depressing when you think about it. But I'm excited to eventually get to a point where if I'm at a live sporting event or if I'm watching a sporting event that there's fans, there's cheering, there's the band, there's student sections, and I'm just ready to get back to normal when it comes to that. Yeah, and I think we we touched on uh, definitely the financial impact and what it's been um, overall for sports fandom, but for each of you individually, how has this affected you as a fan? Well, for me, you know, I, do, I, I wasn't in the habit of watching as many sports as I did when I was younger but I definitely missed it when it went away. And I think that's what a lot of people throughout the world have experienced if they're sports fans. And the fact that I want to be able to turn on my TV, I want to be able to get online, I want to be able to listen on the radio to whatever sporting event is available. And usually they're available one of those ways. But that was taken away from many of them. And we got into this little area where it's like, wow, it's almost like, what do I do now? You know, because it was such a part of our daily lives, especially during certain seasons. And as Jake mentioned with the March Madness, you know, or, or football season and how that completely was in disarray. Some conferences decided not to play at all. Then they decided, oh, maybe we will play later. And then some just went ahead and delayed the start but played an entire season and now we have football being played in the spring so there's still a lot of confusion and there's still a lot of uh i guess concern on behalf of the sports fans you know when will this return to something close to normal and then maybe we'll be back into a routine again i think that's the biggest thing too is the routine the whole scheduling really going back to obviously last year when the NCAA tournament was canceled, but they put the whole world on hold really. But uh, we saw with, with college football games that were being you know postponed or canceled and they were going to make them up at the end of the season. You know, these, the conferences were allowing these extra weeks in there for makeup games. And they've done that with basketball. And like you said, we've got even spring football right now. And it, it, it is confusing. You know, there are a lot of people that don't know why we, why we have this on. Uh, and, and I know it has to be difficult for, uh, the athletes and everything, because we're, for us, for the fans, it's it's weird, but it's also kind of great to have football on and to have these sports on when they are. But for these athletes, I think that are maybe obviously still balancing academics, but maybe trying to advance that next level, that kind of conflicts with the timeline of a, of an NFL draft or a combine or, or graduation even uh, in May for some of these guys. So it's just, it's very weird, I think, for for everybody, not just the fans, but for the people that are actually playing the games too. And I'll even say that 
I didn't know what to watch whenever sports were canceled. Um, it was kind of, I would kind of just sit the TV and just think, well, what's on? Cause I knew about this time, what would usually be on in the spring. And I knew what I could watch. I could watch baseball, uh, the end of basketball, anything. But when sports get canceled, I hopped on the train where it was, it was baseball getting played in Korea as the, one of the first sports coming back to play but you had to be up like at 4 a.m 3 a.m to watch this game I remember personally getting up and watching some of these games because I've missed I've missed the game of sports so much so being able to get up and watch that and kind of get the sense of we're getting back in track of a sporting event it was kind of reassuring to me that hey we're going to get there at some day but for right now this is what we can watch and this is what we can do and I think we'll let Alex have the uh, last direct question from Mr. Pillow. Uh, go ahead, Alex. So when this pandemic is over, and hopefully that'll be somewhat soon, uh, do you think we're going to look back and see anything good and, and positive to come out of this whole situation? Well, I think we will. I think what we've already seen is how we can be innovative and learn to get things accomplished, maybe not in the way we prefer to do it, but we can find ways to get things done. And I think what we're seeing is through that innovation, we're gonna see new technologies being introduced and used that had been maybe discussed earlier or barely even experimented with that are gonna become more commonplace. And I think we're also seeing that some sports, especially the ones that are dealing more with individuals versus large teams. I think if you're a true sports fan, most of the people, when they were going through that drought of not seeing much on TV, you may have watched more things like tennis or golf because they were available. And so maybe people are being exposed to different sports than they had watched in the past and may even become a fan of those sports, which hopefully will increase you know, participation and interest in them. And we may see more opportunities to have those kinds of things uh, broadcast on TV, the internet, radio, that kind of thing. And I also think that the sports organizations are learning that, you know, without fans, it's very difficult. If, if your sport really lends itself to that fan experience and interaction with the athletes. And so what they're learning is they found ways to get some fans in the stands. And I think if they continue to look at those modifications, if something like this occurs again, they'll be better prepared for it. And I think individually, we will as well as fans and consumers, we now know what to expect, whether it's masks, social distancing, those kinds of issues. And maybe we can help control something like this better in the future. So since we're all sports fans, um, I want to close uh, this podcast out with a quick rapid fire segment. Um, as you all know, March Madness starts up this week. Actually, uh, the, the round of four begins today as we're recording this, but it's starting up for the first time in over 700 days. Who is your overall pick to win the uh, bracket? And what is your biggest predicted upset? I think for me, the overall winner is going to be Gonzaga. I think they've got the easiest path by far. Uh, I'd say my biggest upset might be in the round of 32. I've got LSU upsetting Michigan, the number one seed. Jake, who you got? So I'm going out on a limb here, and my overall winner is the team out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, the Arkansas Razorbacks, the three seed. They are a team that 
can surprise anyone and everyone in this tournament with the help of Moses Moody, J.D. Note, Jalen Tate, and uh, just a stacked up lineup. And then my biggest upset will be the 12 seed in the round of 64, UCSB upsetting the five seed Creighton and going on to play Virginia. I would say for me, uh, I've got Villanova picked to win it overall. Um, I think the biggest upset is going to come in the round of 32 with Georgia Tech beating the number one seed, Illinois. Well, for me, I've been a Gonzaga fan the entire season. And I also agree, I think they have a fairly easy path through this tournament bracket. So I fully expect them to be in the final four, if not win the whole thing. In terms of upsets, I, I'm going to have to argue a little bit with Jake on this one. I actually think Colgate has a pretty good chance against Arkansas. <laughs> oh, I really do. I really do. Oh, man. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I think Arkansas is an extremely talented team, and they could surprise me, make it all the way to the finals. But I think the way their last game or two have games have gone, then I think uh, Colgate could actually sneak up on them a little bit. Well, so this is an this is an educational academic podcast. Um, so I'm going to kind of stray away from the hot takes, but that's a very excellent segue into our last and final segment. Is just uh, pluggables, uh, Jake. I know you and Alex both host a uh, podcast as part of your uh, work in this class in the audio production two class. Uh, do you guys want to go ahead and plug your podcast and tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. So mine is uh, just like my YouTube channel. It's, it's the Gridiron Expert. Uh, so it's the Gridiron Expert podcast, and the main focus is mostly sticking with college football, just like we do on the YouTube channel and and all of our really social media platforms. Uh, but we try to bring in a, a bunch of guests from around the country. I know a couple top analysts that have come on already and, and visited with us to preview some of these early conferences, uh, some of the early previews for the Power Five conferences. Uh, so that's what we're doing over on the podcast on all of the streaming platforms, uh, weekly episodes over there, but we post daily content over on our YouTube channel as well. And for me, I host a podcast called Sporting the Goods, where we talk all things football, basketball, and just recently added baseball as we're getting close to opening day. But I also want to go ahead and emphasize that our next episode that we will be talking about is March Madness. I'll be running through from the round of 64 all the way to the national championship. And I'll be breaking down each game specifically and talking winners and losers of the tournament. And definitely if you want more hot takes on Arkansas basketball or baseball now, as we enter that season, uh, I would definitely recommend listening to uh, Jake's podcast. Mr. Pillow, do you have anything you want to plug upcoming events or anything that you're working on? Uh, no, not really. I'm just looking forward to sporting events being available on media again and eventually people being being able to attend them in person as big huge crowds and i uh, i think that's the one thing that i really have a hope for that this coming maybe summer into fall we'll start to see that great well thank you everyone for joining me today and special thanks to mr pillow for joining us as well my pleasure enjoyed it yeah thanks for having us on I appreciate it. Definitely. Pandemic Pedagogy Podcast is produced in association with the Audio Production 2 class in the School of Media and Journalism at Arkansas State University. To listen to complete episodes, follow us on anchor.fm slash pandemic pedagogy or listen on your favorite streaming service. And as always, keep learning. Keep learning.